edition of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast, broadcasting to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. My name is Keith Farrell. I am joined, as always, by the biggest jet fan in the state of Texas, none other than my colleague and co-host, Michael Lagaris, everyone. What's up, Keith? What up, Jet Nation? And we might be getting a pop in here from Cousin Sammy. We might be getting a pop in from the Wook. Schedules were all over the place this week, so it is what it is. The big headline coming off last week, these playoff games, Mike. As always, super exciting games, some blowout, some close games, some questionable decisions there by the referees. I mean, if you're a Cowboy fan right now, you're not feeling good. If you're a Raider fan right now, like our boy Dan Scampoli, who is, uh, I, I feel he's beside himself right now. The whistle in the end zone there. I think if you're a Cowboy fan and the referee is running into your quarterback at the end of a game, that's a tough spot to be in, Mike. We'll get to all that. We'll get to our perfect playoff predictions. Six for six for Mike, six yep. for six for Keith, six for six for Sammy. <clears throat> and we clarified the Wookiee sheet. He actually had the same selections as us also. So the odds of four different men picking the same exact six teams to win are not very high. Now, look, we went chalk with most of our picks. No one really went out in a limb. Okay. But most times that blows up on your face when you do that with sheets. Right. To be honest. Okay. Right. 49ers, though, I think we all confidently felt would win. The way that game ended was crazy, Mike. We'll talk about all that in a moment. Let's get to some Jets news and notes. Now, I want to just point out something that Mike said last week. We're talking about Zach Wilson. Mike was giving you kind of a big picture on his thoughts. Now, we have a lot of reasons, at least at the end of the year. Zach gave us some reasons to be excited about next year. You know, some improvement he showed. And what Mike was saying was, you know, there's guys that can make every throw and they look great on film. And they have all these things on the field that you're like, okay, look, no interceptions. Look at this pass he made. Look at these ways he's improving. But the great ones are the ones that take their time off the field to improve. Okay? The great ones are the ones that off the field clear out all distractions. And the only thing they're worried about is getting better. You've heard the insane stories about Jerry Rice. You've heard the crazy stories about Michael Jordan. Run through the laundry list of the great athletes. Okay? And there's one thing in common. It's the work ethic. Mike was getting to that last week. He alluded to that last week. And then I saw a headline a few days after our show, Mike, that Zach Wilson and his girlfriend have broken up. He's clearing out all distractions for 2022. The first thing I thought about was you, your reaction, how you felt. Zach Wilson, Mike, heeding your advice. Breaking up with the girlfriend. Completely clear focus going into this offseason, Mike. How do you feel about it? Well, when I saw it break on the New York Post, I wasn't sure if it was fake news or not, but then it got confirmed through Twitter and other sources. And I just said to myself, hey, man, I mean, you break up with a girl. I don't know if it was because of relationship issues. I don't know if it was because his mom said something. I have no idea. But the timing was definitely something that caught my eye. And this, like I told you, this is a really important offseason 
it's unfortunate for Zach Wilson because next year he's going to get judged very harshly. Jet fans, you, me, and all the rest of us want results. I don't care who they draft. I don't care who they bring in free agency. Yep. I don't give a crap about any of it. I better see W's next year. That that in the end, that's all. Show me the money, right? And that's exactly. the way it's going to be for Zach Wilson. And I'm sorry, it's year two. You're still growing, but you're you're in New York. You're going to have to execute, brother. So I think he knows that. And I think from what I've just seen, breaking up with your girlfriend's a pretty big deal. Okay, uh, anybody that's in relationships understands that that takes a lot of time from an individual i know like i said baker mayfield when he finished his, his rookie year i think he went and got married and he put on a couple pounds and he wasn't the same quarterback when he came came in you know so good for him and uh i hope to and the other thing that is really great for zach wilson is you know we brought on his uh personal qb coach to be the new york jets head co in in on the new york jets and guess what now that uh, his coach is no longer part of the New York Jets, but he could, so you're not allowed to work with Jet coaches or your NFL coaches during the off season, but now he's not on the Jets anymore. So guess what? He's still able to work with him. So he'll have that continuation going on. Yeah, Mike, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, that ability to keep Zach learning and growing and maturing the maturation is going to continue with the offseason that's what we all want this offseason between your rookie season and your second year in the nfl for quarterbacks that is huge i mean we've seen big leaps from a lot of guys in the past i think with what the expectations were for zach we're expecting a big leap going into year two and kicking this chick to the curb. My my wife was very upset. She's over on the side right now. She was a big fan of Zach Wilson's little Instagram love love story with his uh, girl there. She's kicked to the curb, scrubbed from Instagram as well. So you know it's wow. Oh, you know. That's how with you know it's millennials official. today. Yeah. That's that's where it's real. That's how you know it's real. <laughs> that's how you know it's real. And then, you know, it's getting into some other news and notes here with the Jets. I know there's a lot of talk this week about bringing Barrios back and not bringing him back. We've talked about that on the show before, and we'll probably talk about that a lot moving forward here. He is an all-pro now officially, so that's out there as well. Another guy that was talked about a lot this week was Makai Becton, and we'll get into him. But one thing I want to shout out to the Jets offensive line. Jet fans, turn the volume up here because you might not believe what you're about to hear. Pro Football Focus put out their top 32 offensive lines in the NFL. The New York Jets ranked number 11 in the league. Wow. Jets were ranked above the Colts. Okay, now the Colts are the, uh, the offensive line, one of the better ones in the league everyone's talking about, as they should. The dropping. We just had a dropping from the number one high school football coach in the nation. Tonight's his dad's birthday. I want to give him a shout out. Let me thank you for joining us. What's up, everybody? What's up, bro? All right, we were just – Sam, you didn't miss much. We were chopping up right here. Just letting everybody know that the New York Jets offensive line was ranked number 11 by pro, pro Football Focus. That probably surprises a lot of people. Pro Football Focus, quote, in regard to the New York Jets. Let me get it out for you guys because, I mean, when do we have positivity wrapped around an offensive line? Not very often. I think Font playing probably a lot better than people thought this year. Obviously, ABT was good. The, the quote from Pro Football Focus was, the Jets offensive line overhaul has been a long-term process. Process, but it's starting to come together well, even if it's undermined by their quarterback holding onto the ball a little bit too long. We know he probably holds onto the ball a little bit too long, Zach. Didn't help the O-line there, but every starter on our offensive line was above average, according to Pro Football Focus. And when they popped Tardif in there towards the end of the year and replaced Van Roten, it took the line up to a level where it was. And we, we said it all year. I didn't know what the numbers were. 
in regards to pro football focus, but we knew the run game all of a sudden with Tevin Coleman and with Carter, even to a degree with Ty Johnson, they were able to move the ball. And they seemed to protect protect whoever was back there decently enough, not in that Bills game. We know how that went, nine sacks that day, that was a nightmare. But for the most half, for the, for the most part, the second half of the year, they played well. George Font, though. I mean, Mike was all year long pointing out to everybody how well this guy was playing at left tackle. They, they kind of focused in on him um, when it comes to this article, too. One of the better left tackles this year in the league. Didn't really give up that many pressures. I think only 16 pressures over about 300 passing passing attempts for Zach, given up by Font. So he played great, guys. Did it Does it surprise you to hear that? Let me ask Sammy first. You just, just jumped on with us. That the New York Jets offensive line was ranked 11th by Pro Football Focus? I think... If you ask me in the beginning of the year, it would be a total shocker. I think that end of the year, it became more apparent how well they were doing. I remember one of the announcers saying when they played Tampa, you're looking at three of the best linemen in the NFL. Two were on Tampa and they were like, fine. Right? So, and that, you know, everybody, we were really high on Beckton this whole year. He didn't even play and Fant comes in. And that's a tough job to jump from right to left to right to left to right to left. And to do such a great job, I think is tremendous and really surprising. Absolutely. That's a point Mike wanted to make. Mike, you mentioned that earlier when it comes to Font, this being the first year he's really had us like a locked in one position. Maybe, Mike, you were saying his versatility in the past might actually hurt him because he can never get locked in at one spot and get going. Yeah, when he was playing for Seattle, they would put him in that left guard, right guard, they'd right tackle, left tackle, just whenever, wherever he could fit in. He's a basketball star. He has athleticism. They all saw the talent, but he never really had the chance to really grow into one position uh, throughout his his young career so far. And the fact that um, Beckton went down so early in the season and then he got cemented into that left tackle, he really grew into the role and flourished in the role and I think that's really one of the biggest gets from a free agent perspective in all of Joe Douglas's tenure um, was identifying uh, George Fant as a talent for the offensive line. And really, in my opinion, he could be our left tackle going forward for the at least uh, early foreseeable future. Yeah, and you look at the money they gave Font. Um, not last year, the year before when they signed him, Mike, and a lot of people were like, well, what are you doing? And last year was, you know, not a year that he stood out in any way, but the offense in no way stood out. And then this year, it's kind of looking like a discount, the way he played a left tackle. He played really well. We're going to have Becton coming back. Becton was in the news this week for a lot of the wrong reasons. You know, his injury concerns, he only played 48 snaps this year. Now, when you went back and you look at last year, he only played all of the snaps in a game 10 times last year. He'll leave a bunch of games early. He obviously missed three games. So you do have some concerns. When he's out there playing, he's been tremendous. Um, they explain some of the issues with the injury and why he put on weight because he wasn't able to work out because of his knee, et cetera, et cetera. The dislocated knee we thought would only be four to six weeks. He misses the whole season. So in his absence, Font has, has thrived. And I think this puts us in a decent spot next year because you don't have to automatically plug Becton back into left tackle because he hasn't proven anything yet. And Font has. And I think Font played just as good as Beckham did in his rookie year this past year. So we're in a good spot with offensive linemen. I think they're going to maybe add one in free agency or in the draft as well. Playoffs are fun. All those little jet tidbits are fun. But you want to know who's getting those ABG awards, don't you? Let's get right into it. The 2021-22 ABG Year Ends Awards. Let's go. The situation uh, kind of got heavy on me. Welcome back to the AEBG Award Show, year-end award show here, where we let you all know who's the who was the most improved player, who was the most disappointing, who was the offensive MVP, the defensive MVP, at least according to us here at 
Ain't Easy Being Green podcast. Michael, most improved. Very interested to see what Mike has here for the most improved player on the Jets this year. I think there's a few candidates here. Um, of where you, where did you land, Mike, when it comes to the most improved New York Jet from last year to this year? So my improved, most improved player uh, for the New York Jets in 2021 was Bryce Hall. And the reason why I say that is he had a good stretch of games from the year before. We all thought, hey, he may have, you know, a path forward here. And this year he was the CB1 on this team and took responsibility of taking the top wide receivers out of the game. And if you look at the metrics, you look at how he played, he really, to me, solidified himself as part of the solution moving forward. I'm not saying he's that number one Darrell Revis shutdown corner, but I think he's definitely number two. And to me, from year one to year two and the growth that I saw from him, he was a legit cornerback this season. Legit. A legit starting cornerback. And for you to be a fifth round pick, for you to come in and kind of flash and then make that leap in year two, that to me, I I didn't see another player, not even Quinn and Williams, in my opinion, made the type of leap that I saw from Bryce Hall this year. And he's my most improved. It was between two guys for me. One was Bryce Hall, and the other guy is who I'm giving the award to. It's Jonathan Franklin Myers. Last year, he had eight tackles on the season. This year, I want to I wanna give you stats from two players on the Jets here. Um, Quinn Williams, seven tackles for a loss. Jonathan Franklin Myers, six tackles for a loss. Quinn Williams this year, six sacks. Jonathan Franklin Myers, six sacks. Jonathan Franklin Myers, one forced fumble, one interception. Quinn Williams did not have a forced fumble or an interception. A few more tackles for Quinn. He almost equaled Quinn and Williams' production. He got that big contract before the year started. Four years, $55 million. But I looked at, when they gave him that money, I, might, I think a lot of people were like, why would the Jets, that's a lot of money to give this guy who only had eight tackles last year, you know? And maybe only Jet fans know. We were high on him, don't get me wrong. But I saw, just like Bryce Hall, and Bryce Hall's a great candidate too, Mike, because he proved he's legit. Especially me, I was a, one of the bigger detractors of Bryce Hall, and he proved me completely wrong. But I think Jonathan Van Myers jumped from year, uh, not, not it was his second year last year, but year two to year three. Another guy, just like Bryce Hall, who made a huge jump and proved the contract they gave him, He's worth that money. Was a big, impactful player this year. Not the defense was so great, but he's one of the guys like C.J. Mosley, like Quentin Williams to a degree that stood out. Uh, what do you think, Sammy, when it comes to the most improved for this year? Yeah, I had John Franklin Myers as well. And not to reiterate a lot of stuff you said, but he almost doubled every single stat line he had last year, right? So for me, that's a huge jump in improvement, especially the amount of combo tackles he had. I think he had six last year. He had almost like 18, 19 yeah, combination yeah. tackles this year on top of his solo tackles, right? So that stat to me jumped out because that means that he was constantly in the mix. Yeah, a lot of these plays um, and John Franklin Myers for me as well. Yeah, 17 solo tackles, 18 assisted tackles. So you're right, Sam. That means he's involved. And, he's got, and he has six tacks, six sacks. And he had that big interception that game. Blew all of our minds. So I think JFM and I think Bryce Hall are probably the two best candidates there for most improved. Barrios, maybe a door cross candidate as well, showed a lot this year when it comes to the previous years too. Let's get into our rookie of the year because we had a lot of good rookies. Now, Zach Wilson, as I have as my offensive MVP, because of what I thought he brought to the team in the games that we actually won. That was my reasoning, guys. When it comes to the offensive rookie of the year, the one that played the best, I think we have a lot of good options here. Mike, where'd you land on when it comes to the rookie of the year for the New York Jets? For me, the rookie of the year is pretty easy for me. It's Elijah Vera Tucker. Elijah Vera Tucker wasn't just one of the best offensive rookie linemen. He was one of the best linemen, period. And 
If you look at the numbers from a run blocking perspective, from a pass blocking perspective, from an overall offensive line efficiency gain when he was in, you can see the difference immediately. And I love his attitude. I love his willingness to work with others on the team, with communicating with the quarterback, communicating with one another to bring value. I think he was definitely the rookie of the year and the best performer of any of our draft picks. Mike, we're exactly on the same page. I think Elijah Moore per game was ridiculously good. He had six touchdowns. I think the kid only played 10 games, right? I think Michael Carter showed you he could be legit. I think Zach's the quarterback. He's going to be the sexiest guy. But the guy that was the most consistently good all year long was Elijah Vera Tucker. We're on the same page, Mike. He's pro football focused, all rookie team. So you got that right there. He missed one game this year. He played 100% of the other snaps in every single game. So he missed a game. Besides that, he's the he's the opposite of Becton. This kid played every snap the whole season. Okay, besides one game that he missed, guys. Um, him, Humphrey, I know Rashawn Slater, a lot of the guys, Sewell, a lot of the guys, Mike, that you and I talked about um, as the better offensive lineman along with ABT, they all made that pro football focus rookie team. He's up there with those guys. Those guys, I think he got better as the year went on as well. And I think you you really found something with him. Font on the left side of the offensive line there. Tardif played good there at right guard. And McGovern wasn't even that bad at the center. So I, I think the rookie of the year is ABT. Sammy, we got a lot of choices there. Where'd you land when it came to the rookie of the year for the New York Jets? I, I landed at ABT as well. Um, I just think, I mean, the guy doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't miss any downs. He's a guy that you can rely on. And if you're going to be successful and build this young team, those are the kind of guys you need. Right? So I think it, you talked about Zach Wilson's importance before for the whole offense and those wins. I think for that whole offensive line, having a guy like that, I think is super important going forward. Uh, that's so true, guys. Now let's get into uh, an award that no one wants to get from ABG. It's the most disappointing player of the year. I'm going to go first here, guys, because I think there might be a consensus. I could be wrong. There's a few guys to choose from. Don't get me wrong. I know a lot of Jeff fans might say it's Zach Wilson. Disappointed them. Some people might say it's Becton because they had high hopes. He didn't play all year. For me, it's Denzel Mims. Coming into this year, with the opportunity you think he's given, considering the injuries we had to our wide receivers, you didn't know that was going to happen, but he had every chance this year to flourish and succeed. I know he had COVID, and I know he had injuries. I know there was had the same type of situations last year, but when he did have a chance, when the door was open, when there was no Crowder, when there was no Davis, when there was no Elijah Moore, he did absolutely nothing. Nothing when he was given these chances. Not only did he do nothing, he got benched for practice squad guys. Like, you know, that we none of us had ever heard of before. And apparently doesn't know the playbook and has some maturity issues and things like that. From the point we were last year, which was to, uh, in about two weeks, it'll be the one-year anniversary of our Denzel Mims interview. From that point till right now, I don't think there's any player on this team that has disappointed me more than Denzel Mims. His catch rate, I think, was 34%. He had 133 yards this year on eight catches, guys. I mean, I don't think it gets more disappointing than that for a second-round pick. There was only a, if there was one other guy, I would say Ashton Davis was very disappointing, um, just because we had a lot of expectations for him, and because of the injuries to Lamarcus Joyner and to um, to Marcus May, he had a really great opportunity to solidify himself as part of the future. And I don't believe he did that. He had some bright points, but he was disappointing. But there's no question about it; it's Denzel Mims. It's not even close because 
you know, we drafted him. There was a lot of talk around his size, his speed, his abilities, and I'm sure that he was drafted to fit in more of Gase's offensive system. But I started seeing red flags once we began to start on OTAs and seeing that this coaching staff just had a problem with his ability within it. And I think that it's unfortunate. Um, I think it's better now to figure out best ways to part and i don't think that he's going to be part of the solution moving forward unfortunately but um yes i completely agree denzel mims is the most disappointing player on the new yorkers for 2021 sammy you got anything else you want to add to that or you got someone else you want to throw under the bus here no i mean he had ample time to learn the offense and just didn't do it and then just didn't perform so i mean yeah no brainer right no brainer with that one guys all right that's the most disappointing now let's get into the most surprising player of the year i think we had a lot of good candidates this year i know maybe the most improved is one that kind of aligns with this but some guys when it comes to the most surprising aren't actually most improved some of them just came out of nowhere now barrios is a good candidate for a category like this braxton barrios a couple other guys mike who was your winner for the abg award 2021 22 most surprising player of the year so I think the one place where a lot of us had a lot of concern was the secondary. We weren't sure if Bryce Hall was going to be able to really step up, right? Um, we There wasn't a CB2. There was a bunch of rookies that were drafted in the later rounds. And we, we, we really thought our secondary was going to get cooked from the beginning. And... Brandon Eccles ended up coming out of the, the the heap, if you will, to start at CB2. And you watch him as the year went along, and he just got better and better and better until the point where even Bryce Hall got hurt. He was playing CB1 and able to actually, you know, be efficient. And again, is, 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 is Eccles going to be the starting cornerback for the New York Jets in 2022? I hope not. Um, I think that we definitely need to bring in a CB1 like I talked about, but he is an amazing depth piece and can be our cornerback three and then substitute in for certain packages. He, to me, is my most surprising player because of the value he provided there from the secondary. And the Jets' secondary really wasn't that bad all year. I mean, I know, I guess, I, we were ranked 31st against the pass, but when you really deep dive into what and how they played, I think Eccles did tremendous and did much better than I thought he ever would. So there's a lot of other candidates out there, like Keith said, but Tim, for me, Eccles is the most surprising player. Yeah, you grab you grab somebody in the sixth round and they play as good as he did, especially towards the end of the year. That's a great that's a great pick. Bryce Hall's another one was a fifth round pick and you know proved to be a legit starter. So maybe that's a surprise. Somebody definitely was a surprise to me. Uh, my most surprising player this year though isn't any of those guys. It's Quincy Williams, who was cut by the Jaguars uh, the end of August. There, I think August thirty first he got cut. We pick him up. Doesn't start to the second week of the season, and then besides C.J. Mosey, was probably our most consistent player. Obviously, obviously a linebacker core, but one of the most consistent players on the defense the whole year and had some games where he was just really ridiculously good. That, that Tennessee game stands out, but 110 tackles for him on the season, two sacks, three forced fumbles, five passes defended. Um, like we said, got waived by the Jaguars and then became a legit starter for us. I think when the year started, we're thinking, okay, we, we signed Gerard Davis. We have Nigel Dean we drafted. We were trying to figure out what we're going to do at linebacker here. I don't. He wasn't on anyone's radar. And then the year ends, and it looks like going into next year, he's probably going to be a starter for us, at least has a consideration to be. So he's my most surprising player of the year. Let's get into two more awards, guys, and we'll chop it up about our perfect playoff picks. Michael, the worst free agent signing 
talked about the New York Jets last year. I think there's a couple that could be considered. Who was the worst one they made last year? So the worst free agent signing for the New York Jets. You're not going to agree with what I have to say, I don't think. But this is just in my opinion. I know there's Darren Davis. I know there's a bunch of other people. But, I mean, if you want me to be blunt, it's the the second kicker that we had that missed all those field goals. They got, I forgot his name. Carling, too, was the very brief blink and you miss him, jabroni Alex Kessman. Who you were saying miss every single kick, an extra point. And now, I went to, just so the AEBG fans know, we're going to let you peek in behind the curtain here. I went to double-check the name, and I said, Mike, I only see stats here for Panero and for Amendola. And Mike was like, yeah, because he didn't record stats. Because he missed every kick. <laughs> so if you look at ESPN right now, he doesn't exist in the Jets' stats for the season because he didn't make anything in. That's not right. Mike. He's got to be the worst. He's got to be. <laughs> All right, now if you put it in, if you put it along that context, that's horrific, and I'll give you that, Michael. I do think, like you mentioned, one of those guys earlier, Jared Davis. Mike was, I mean, you know how he came off the season with the Lions, Mike, where they were like, oh, he PFF rated them as like the worst linebacker on the planet, and we were like, oh, maybe it's the system, this and that. He was one of the lowest linebackers rated in the whole NFL this year, if not the lowest when he did play. We know he got banged up in the preseason, had an ankle injury, didn't debut till week eight. Once he debuted, played a couple games. Then got benched real quick for my boy Quincy Williams, who I just mentioned. Then he was playing special teams. I mean, his spiral down the roster was not really noticed by many people because our defense wasn't playing it either. But to me, that was just a waste of money. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. And yeah, and I'm just I'm not like jo I joking about this the kicker. To be honest, Davis is the most disappointing. You can also put Justin Hardy up there too from a special mm. teams perspective. You know, we thought he was going to come in here, oh, and no. Barrios took over that. So, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Jared Davis. Guys, very first yeah, free agent. I, I would say Corey Davis on this one too. Oh, I mean, really? I'm saying Corey Davis. Wow. Nine games under 500 yards. He had an under 60% catch rate. Um, you sign that guy to be your number one. If you're the number one dude, how do you have a lower catch rate than any of your prior years in Tennessee? Right? Um, heard a lot of the season. We threw all that money at him. I just don't. I think that's my that's my guy for this one. Wow, controversial choice here for the worst free agent signing. Sammy's not having. Is that the Wookie? Is that the Wookie checking in? What is going oh, on? Everybody? Look you at guys that. Got guys. Me you, we got you right before playoff time, where you can clarify all those picks for everybody and let everybody know okay. you picked last week. We'll be there in a moment. Wookie, just give us one sec. We'll just finish oh, up the awards here. We're, we're talking about the worst free agent signing of the year. Sammy said Corey Davis. Shocking. The jet universe yeah that's shocking that's hot take, baby hot take, it's a hot take he's unhappy and i'm gonna tell you why he that's shocking to me is because when you just just because sammy and i'm not even saying you're that far off i was a little disappointed too but grading it if i look at the all the phrases they signed last year if i'm looking at guys that they brought in that actually did provide some some help to the team or do anything positive you really only have like corey davis and tevin coleman because lawson didn't get to play and everyone else was either hurt or just a non-entity. I think, you know, Davis only played the nine games. If you, you know, extract his nine games over 17, he still doesn't have a 1,000 yards. So I understand what Sammy's getting at. His his stats, and I, I, I did this today because he played nine games, 492 yards, 34 catches, four TDs. Um, I will say this. 
He had 92 targets with Tennessee last year. He had 60 targets in nine games with the Jets, so they were feeding him like a number one. So I understand what Sammy's saying when he's saying, well, maybe it's a little disappointing because of the way we fed him. But to me, that's also a byproduct of him playing his nine games, Sammy, when Zach was playing his worst. That's when Corey right. Davis, and I'm not saying, you know, he could have maybe helped him. We saw him drop plenty of balls. I saw Corey Davis drop balls this year. Oh, yeah. But to me, he was the best free agent signing, just for this reason alone. Because when he was out there, he gave us an actual viable wide receiver, and he was the only one. And when he was out there, Elijah Moore was banged up and hadn't done anything yet. Mims was nowhere to be found. Crowder was banged up at the beginning of the year. So when Davis did play, I kind of feel like he was in a tough spot. I don't disagree with the stats because the stats don't lie. Sammy at all but I think kind of Davis was in a, a tough situation this year I think he did as good as he could um, but I don't think we really had any really amazing free agent signings to be well honest. there was one there's one that I would say to me is the best free agent signing I, I agree with Keith on what he said regarding the value and actually the early returns for uh, Zach Wilson as far as a receiving um, um, talent out there for Zach but to me Tardif is the best free agent signing, and I'm going to explain why. Because, number one, once he came in at right guard, the efficiency for the offensive line and how it was able to uh, work from a run blocking and pass blocking perspective increased significantly. This is, you know, replacing Greg Van Ruten. But the reason why I say to me it's the best is because he is a, I believe, a future state uh uh, option for the right guard spot and I think that maybe you know Corey Davis will have another year but if he continues to have the drops he had I'm pretty sure the guy we're about to draft or grab is going to be end up being his replacement um, I, I think that Tardif has a potential Keith to be a long-term answer at that guard position yeah, no, that's a great choice, Mike. Uh, technically, he probably ended up playing the best of anyone we grabbed up. I didn't even, I didn't even consider him. I was thinking about the before the season start, guys. So that's a great choice there. Your offensive most valuable player for the 2021-2022 season, who's that? Michael Carter. I think he really did a tremendous job from a running back perspective when he came in. His uh, ability to break tackles his ability to live within the offense and then when when we added uh tardif on the line at the very end he was really looking to me like a number one running back and the future of this offense so in my opinion from what i saw the consistency and the value on field from an offensive perspective i thought michael carter was the right choice hard to argue with sammy when it comes to offensive mvp i think you echoed mike's sentiments there with michael carter yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen a guy give us that kind of burst out of the backfield since my man's jersey I'm wearing right now, yes. number 28, right? Um, we saw it towards the end of the season, that kind of breakaway speed, that ability to hit the second level, and I think that's our offensive MVP. Yeah, you know, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a shocker here considering just five or six weeks ago, I came on this show and said that I'm not seeing the improvement that I want. I'm not seeing the growth that I want from this player, guys. My MVP for the offense this year is Zach Wilson. Let me explain why, guys. I know Michael Carter played great, don't get me wrong. But when Tevin Coleman was in, he played just as good as Michael Carter. Average, same amount of carries. There wasn't really too much of a difference between the two of them. But if you look at wins, now, you want to win games. That's the, that's the point of, the, of playing these games every single year, right? You play 17 if you want to win as many as you can. We won four games this year. Three of those games, Zach was the quarterback. Two of those games, he's the reason we won the game. 
the Titan game, we played the Titans, guys, when Derrick Henry was healthy. And they're maybe the worst number one seed of all time, but we played them when they were completely healthy. And he played his greatest game of the whole season that day, balled out, fourth quarter touchdown pass to Davis. That's why we won that game. Okay, we would play the Jaguars, 90 yards rushing for him, ran for a touchdown, threw for a touchdown. He's the reason we won that game. The reason we didn't get blown out of the stadium versus Tampa Bay, aside from the defense mildly showing up to a degree that day, was the way Zach Wilson played that day with two touchdowns. And I saw him improve as the year went on. He had 13 total touchdowns. I don't think we have a lot of guys that blew it up this year on offense. I don't think that's pretty... I don't think that's arguable. Obviously, Michael Carter, guys, he had almost 1,000 yards from scrimmage. That's a that's a tremendous choice. But for me, I think Zach Wilson, just because of the, the way he played in our actual wins, I think he meant more to the team than anyone else. And I think that's maybe going without saying when it comes to the quarterback position. But that's my offensive MVP of the year this year. When we get to defensive MVP, I think this is kind of a no-brainer, guys. I mean, we had a couple guys play well, but I do think, and I'm going to go first, Mike. I think my defensive MVP is C.J. Mosley. Um, 168 tackles is something I don't remember ever seeing from a Jet player. Maybe going back to, like, David Harris. We get in the 140, 150 range. I don't remember a guy playing like that. I know it's two years in the making, waiting for him to play, but he did show up this year. I know we didn't play great throughout the year. The defense didn't play great throughout the year, but he was one kind of guy, to me at least, that shined throughout the whole season. That's my MVP there on the defense. 100%. I mean, he has set career highs this year, even in his own right. I thought he was definitely the MVP. Um, there were games that were actually affected by his tackling and his ability to penetrate um, and really lead that backfield uh, or the secondary in um, um, governing that uh, the defensive line. So I absolutely agree with you. I think he was the MVP defensively. Guys, I mean, that's the AEBG awards for this year. A lot of unheralded players getting their props. Maybe a lot of controversial takes there. Sammy, obviously, not a big fan. Corey Davis. We're going to chop it up now about the rest of these playoffs. Last week's picks. The Wookiee going to be able to clarify his picks going into next week. Round two of the NFL playoffs. Let's go. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the AEBG podcast. Last week's playoffs, guys, like we said at the beginning of the show, very exciting week one matchups. Now, we all were hoping, we all thought it would happen, but in the back of your mind, the Patriots always just kind of haunt you because how much pain they've caused us in the past. I think as a team, I probably hate the, the Patriots more. Human being-wise, I probably hate the Bills fans more. Neither here nor there. We all picked the Bills to get that W. Um, I thought that Mac Jones would have a long day and it'd be a rough day for him. The Bills would whoop up on him. We all thought that would happen. The tower went down in that game, 47-17. to 17. The two games I want to get to, though, and I want to ask you about this, Mike, because I referenced it at the beginning of the show but didn't get your take on it. The end of that Dallas game. Now, San Francisco pretty much handled them most of the day. I know, Wookiee, you also picked the Niners. Mike picked the Niners. I picked the Niners. And Sammy picked the Niners, just so you know, Wookiee. Maybe oh, that yeah. was a game. Maybe you thought one of us would get some points on that one. None of us did because we all picked. The, we all picked the upset, which is surprising, yeah. man. I think how much money, how much money Dallas spent on that team, and even just not not to go too far ahead, how much money that the Patriots spent on their free agency. I mean, I love that. We'll get back to that in a moment. But um, when it comes to this Dallas game, let me ask you, Mike, the way it ended, the ref running into Dak and that whole whole hullabaloo. Um, what was your takeaways from that? Do you blame the ref? Do you think it was ridiculous from the try to run the ball there at the end? What was your takeaways from that game, Mike? I didn't. I don't blame the refs at all. They were spotting the ball. Nick knows. You know, you got to spot yep. the ball. The refs have to spot the ball. He had to spot the ball. What do you want? The, the guy was in the way. He tried to do it. He did what he had to do. So I don't blame the refs. Not one bit for the Dallas Cowboy game. 
And I think that, it, you know, this whole thing about firing Mike McCarthy and all that stuff, dude, the offensive coordinator called the play. And Dak said, run the ball with 14 seconds left. That's the dumbest thing you could no ever timeouts. do. Like that makes absolutely zero sense when you just finished executing a couple of passes out of bounds, running the the, the, the offense down the, the, the field. You take a couple of shots and you just try and go ahead and get the W. But having that draw play was ridiculously stupid. And stupid. You, you can fire McCarthy all you want, but you got to look and blame that offensive coordinator and the, and the quarterback for okaying that. So... That was, to me, they deserve to lose. And the Dallas Cowboys, to me, have not really reached ever their potential. They have a ton of talent on that team from a secondary, the running back, quarterback, receivers. They have everything. And and the offensive line. And they look. And that's why you and I picked San Francisco 49ers, because we knew. We already knew what was going to happen here. They have Sanchez has more playoff wins than the Cowboy franchise over the last 27 years. Oh, it's just amazing. think about they that. Have, they have, they have yeah. three playoff just, wins in 27 years. Just think years. about that. Sanchez. No. You know what's crazy also? Sanchez still has three more playoff wins than Matt Stafford. And everyone said Matt Stafford. <laughs> That's funny how those things work. Not that I wouldn't have rather had Matt Stafford, but I do know what you're getting at but here. People get, right, Cowboys fans. people get mad at us and they say, oh, the Jets haven't made the playoffs since 2011. You know what? Like when I really think about it, Yo, the Bengals hadn't won a playoff game since 1991. The Dolphins haven't won a playoff game since 2000. What's worse? The Jets haven't made the playoffs since 2010, or they haven't gotten to that second part of the playoffs since last century. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's all it's all up. garbage. It's all bad. Well, people like people were tweeting, people were tweeting and sending text messages when the, the Jets last made the playoffs. Can't say that about the Bengals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, text messages so that, did exist. Anybody that, that wants point. to say the Jets are worse than the Bengals can what are you talking about? Yeah, another game that had a controversial Mike, I think the only the only gripe you can have with the ref there is maybe get yourself set up on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Instead of being on the side that Dak's on and, and having to run through him. Like, if you get your ass where the ball is a little faster and you're on the defensive side, maybe you can spot the ball, save him a few seconds. But like you said, the, the call there, that's on that's on the Cowboys. There's no one else to blame but themselves and that loss. One team I did have another gripe, though, was the Las Vegas Raiders. The whistle blows, touchdown counts, traumatized our poor young friend. Our poor friend, Dan Scampoli, is still, still sand right now. Not that, that you know the game probably would have went the way that it went anyway, but I do know this, and we have to be fair. If that was the Jets... I'd be pissed. Wait, I oh, just hold, I'd want to say something, yep. and I, I do want to make sure this is recorded, and I'm going to send this to Dan because I know Dan is absolutely 1,000% not going to agree with what I have to say. Two things about the Raider game. One, if you look at the play, Burrow was ready, was already in motion throwing the ball. The ball was in the air when the whistle blew. Okay? The ball... So... The play was executed, and before the guy caught the ball, there was a a, a, a a whistle, right? So in my opinion, the whistle did not stop the execution of the play. The whistle blew right before, and it would have been a touchdown whether the whistle blew or not. That's just what my opinion is on what I saw. The timing, I mean, it was he was going to score, and yeah, but whether this, you blew I'll, it or not. This. There's but, no way but, to know that. I know what you're saying, Mike, but there's no way to know that just because you, the players, the Raiders players just stopped in the end zone. I mean, it might have been tough. They might have stopped and the guy might have been wide open anyway. But we've seen enough plays to know that a fraction of a second more, 
Like if a guy stops, he stops. But another another I, fraction of a second could deflect the pass. I, you never know. I don't. I get, I get, I I get I, that. I, I get that. Like but that. then the second part of it is this shit happened. Excuse my language. This happened in the second quarter. Yeah. You only down a touchdown. You have an, If this happened in the fourth quarter with three minutes to go, that's more of a understanding, right? Like what happened with the Saints. Remember what happened with the Saints a couple years ago with that pass interference, and the, remember that, yeah. This happened in the second quarter. You have the halftime to to strategize and all, you know, second half to make up for it. And you're only down, you know, a score. So to me, they lost. End yeah. of story. You can get mad about it all you want. I understand. I know Dan is very emotional. I, I understand. Well, an NFL rule, they basically yes. said, screw you to an NFL rule in that game. But Nick, the Nick, whistle Mike, was blowing. Mike, Mike, here's the thing. The reason you're wrong is because the NFL already said they were wrong. And yeah, they were wrong. No, no, no. The NFL and Mike, wrong. also, the NFL also, I mean, so you could say, oh, the play would have been whatever. The rules are the rules. And you can't decide when they are applicable or not. And, the, you know, the, those guys that ref that game, they're not refing any more playoff games. I mean, so obviously the NFL. I, I know. The, the, they're, they're done, those guys, for the rest of the year because they blew that. So I know. So Raider fans will hear what you said and be like, oh, it's second quarter. Who cares? And they'll want to pull your, their hair out of their head. That's all I'm going to say. Because no matter what it happened, you can't you can't forget the horrible call. I, I'm just saying that Keith, I think the better team Keith, what I'm saying is the better team won, yeah, in yeah, my I opinion. And I, I agree. Know. I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with that at all. The other games here, guys, mostly blowouts. Now we mentioned the Bills game already. Josh Allen ran wild on the Buffalo Bills. Mac Jones could do nothing at all in that game. He looked horrible. San Francisco and Dallas was a close one. Um Tampa Bay and Philly. I mean, the score is 31-15. That wasn't really a close game either. Just like Mike said, he didn't see Brady losing to the Philadelphia Eagles. Hurts did not look good in that game. Um, Kyler Murray did not look good against the Rams. And you see sometimes these young quarterbacks get put in these pressure-filled playoff situations for the first time. And everyone thinks, oh, it's just a game. It's just a game. It's just a game. Kyler Murray's played the Rams twice this year before that game. I'm not saying he played great, but one of those games he played pretty good. Not this weekend. Oh, absolutely. You know, the only thing that changed was the context. Right now, they, they schemed them different. The Cardinals are not playing as well at the end of the year as they were playing at the beginning of the year. Their wide receiver core is banged up. Maybe there should have been some adjustments made, whatever the case may be. That was a game that surprised me just because I thought, even though they struggle towards the end of the year, those division games usually are close. The Bills proved that wrong this week. The Rams proved that wrong as well. Big Ben's possible last game. Casey took the W as he moved forward. I want to get to your picks, Wookie. A little clarification because you did make all of the same first-round picks as all of us. We ended up finding out. Un right. Unbelievably, the four of us all made the same exact picks. Now, let's just clarify real quick for the AEBG audience. Your second-round picks here, your yep. conference championship picks, who you have winning the Super Bowl bookie. Why don't you walk us through it real quick? I'll start with the uh, Bengals and the Titans. Uh, Titans, if uh, Derrick Henry's back, if he's 85 to 100% of what Derrick Henry is, I think that the Titans defense can figure out how to stop Jamar Chase or at least control, you know, keep him in control a little bit and that passing offense. And at any time Derrick Henry is 85 to 100% and he's on the field, that's a long day for your defense. That's a lot of business and life decisions. Those linebackers and safeties and cornerbacks are going to have to make. So I'm going to go with the Titans. If Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry, um, Niners and the Packers, I'll go with the Packers. Rogers own three lifetime against San Fran in, in the postseason, mm -hmm. but like I, I said, he's that. on a mission. He's on a mission this year, and um, although San Francisco is a team that could give Green Bay problems, I think I'll say, um, dude, that's like San Francisco's team is that 
prototypical just tough out in the playoffs. Oh, God. Because the Absolutely. way they control the clock and play defense, and they don't really exactly. turn the ball over. Exactly. I mean, they don't do it. They, they, you know, they're doing what the 2009 Jets did, right? Yep. They're the better quarterback. Jimmy G's better than Mark Sanchez. Don't get me wrong. But the 2009 Jets ran the ball really well, and they were able to play good defense. That's so, the Giants model. It's the Giants model, man. When they won the Super Bowl, tough. True. All them dudes, defensive, the, 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 yep. you know, attacking the quarterback, having good, solid play from the quarterback, being able to control the clock. That's it, man. And it's a great formula. But I, I, I think Aaron Rodgers is. Uh, I think he's going to win his second chip. That I, I feel very strongly about that. Wookie, what do you think, Buffalo and Kansas City? Um, I got. I got the Chiefs. I think uh, Mahomes is also on a mission to put to bed anything about him and the offense early. You know what happened earlier in the season. Um, he, the guy, he's got more. Uh, there was some ridiculous stat. It's like games in the playoffs where he's thrown for four or five or more touchdowns, and or four or more touchdowns and five hundred yards. It's it's him and ironically enough, Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> yeah. So, I can't and, stand and, and, Nick, Nick. And he got I, to those numbers quicker than any other quarterback that's even on that list, which is ridiculous. Nick, I, so he's I, on a mission too. I I officially picked the uh, Chiefs as well, but Nick, I'm going to, and I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. I'm going to officially change my pick to the Buffalo Bills. I don't want to do that. I don't. I I hate. Now hold on a second. People. Hold on a second. You're doing a mid. Playoff yeah, picks, I, I have to just this because is I, I feel you, it. I don't know. I don't know. I have to check with the with you guys. You know, as far as <laughs> rules. But Keith, I don't. I I think the Bills are going to the Super Bowl. I hate I'll it. Allow it. I hate I'll it. Allow it, Michael. If you'd like to change to the the Hill people, that's fine. I don't I want to. Get, I want to real quick get uh, one more pick from a couple more picks from Wookie here. Tampa Bay and the LA Rams. Wookie, what do you think is going to happen? Tampa Bay goat quarterback. Tampa's eight and one at home this year. Rams will, Rams will keep it interesting, but I, I, unless unless that defensive line really, really gets after Brady with rushing four and not having to bring too many people. I mean, the guy knows where the ball's going before the play. I mean, yeah. yada, yada, yada with Tom Brady. So I you're, just think it's going to be too much. Your NFC Championship game is Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Absolutely. Which is, which is as good as it gets when it comes to quality. Quarterback play, who do you got oh, winning yeah. that one, Wookie? That would be... Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay okay. Packers beating Tampa Bay and Thomas Avocado Ice Cream Brady. <laughs> um, I just have a feeling that if that if that game comes comes to fruition, like I said, Rodgers is just focused, laser focused. Him and Adams are ridiculous together, and they've got other weapons. Lazard has been coming on late in the season. He's got the tight end Degar, who's backed up the other tight end that we didn't know his last name till last year. So. That offense is, is is nuts, and I believe that game would have to go through Green Bay, correct? Yeah, that'd be a home game for the Packers, for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll, yeah. thank you, Mr. Aaron, moving forward. And Cincinnati versus KC, AFC Championship game. Who you got to win that one, Wookie Chiefs? Ooh, yeah, yeah, I've got the Chiefs. Mahomes, Mahomes is going to be too much. Kelsey, the receivers, the running backs that they've got there. I think he's on a mission too. It's just going to be—it's a collision course for me. It's going to—it's going to be Green Bay and um, and Kansas City. And you think this is the year of Aaron Rodgers? Is that what I take away from what you were saying earlier? You think this is his year as well, Wookie? Because a few of us, as in all three of the other compatriots on this show, all picked the Green Bay Packers to win the Super Bowl. Just yeah. so you know. No, just yeah. So you know. I'm, I'm in. I'm in complete agreement with you guys. I think it's. Uh, Roger, if Rodgers makes it to the Super Bowl, which we all think he's going to, obviously, by our picks, 
I think he'll he'll broken toe will that team to a victory fiasco. Like it, <laughs> I picture him halftime whipping out mustache hairs one by one and just people <laughs> looking at him in awe and just going out and just dominating the rest of the game. Not dominating. It's going to be a great game. You're not going to dominate Kansas City too many times, especially in the Super Bowl. Yeah. With the talent they have, but I think Green Bay. It, I think it's just it's going to be it's going to be Aaron's year. Yeah, it's, that'll be a fun one too, man. Mahomes and Rodgers would be great. You get those yep. Mahomes, Rogers, Brady. When you get into this level of quarterback, it's the type of quarterback we all wish and dream and hope that Zach Wilson could be one day. That's what we want. You know, the guy <laughs> that you play, where you you turn your you turn the game on for your team, and your quarterback's the last thing you're worrying about. I'd love to be in that position. I mean, we don't we don't know what that feels like. It's been a while for us here. Great picks by the Wookie there. A lot of us are in lockstep. Looks like it might come down to that final Super Bowl game. We might have to pick some uh, score totals there. Mike switched up a pick this week with the Bills. Wookie has the Rams advancing. Excuse me, Wookie has the Buccaneers advancing. Even a lot of us picked the Rams there. So there will be a chance for us to have a little bit of differentiation in points, which is good. We want to see how this goes. Wookie, unbeknownst to you, Wookie, we all pledged $1,000 each. Yeah, so I don't know if you saw that memo. Um, so anytime you want to PayPal me that or Venmo, or you want to Zell me it, knock yourself out, Wookie. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get on that. Yeah, get on that, please. Winner, winner, take all for us here. Yeah, and that's all we got for you this week. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Sammy, for popping in for a second. Wookie joining us here at the end of the show as well to add his insight and expertise. Michael, if anyone wants to get at us in any way, shape, or form on the internet or anywhere else, where can they do that? On Facebook, you can reach us at AEBG.JetsRadio, on Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ Podcast, and on Instagram at Jet.AEBG. You heard the man on behalf of the biggest Jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Agaris, on behalf of my cousin, Samuel Hare, on behalf of the big stinking Wookiee, Nicholas Cronk. My name's Keith Farrell. We'll get at you next week, everybody. Peace out. I'm